Well, one more time, welcome to Northridge Church. Glad that you are here today. Uh, I want to mention something that I didn't mention earlier, and that is that Northridge Church is a safe place for you, no matter where you are in your journey with God. It's a safe place for you to ask the questions that you have about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, about faith, about your, uh, your purpose in life. We all have those questions. We all have those questions. We all have to answer those questions. And so what better place to seek those questions and seek those answers than at church? And so this is a safe place we want you to know, even if you're here and you're not sure if you believe yet in God, we're still glad that you're here, and we want you to be here and want you to be able to op- have that opportunity to ask those questions that you have. And so thank you for being here. Again, whether you're here in the room and I can see you, or maybe you're joining us online, either way, that's awesome. We're just glad that you are here. So uh, we are in a current series called Words. And the, the premise of this series is really quite simple. Every week we are looking at one word one word that we're focusing on, and these words, they have a lot of influence, they have a lot of bearing on our faith, on our life, on our daily schedule and, and how we live. And so each one of these words, sometimes these words are misunderstood. Sometimes these words are uh, words that we use all the time, but we don't think about very much, and so we're taking it to a deeper level. Sometimes these words are just words that we just don't think about all that often. Uh, Maybe you hear them a lot. Maybe we just don't hear them very much. And so we're taking the opportunity to dig in and focus on those. And today we're going a little bit different route than what we've done. We've talked about fear. We've talked about rest. We've talked about humility. Last week, Pastor Chris did a phenomenal job. I don't know about you, but that's a tough one. When we tackle pride, that is not an enjoyable thing, right? But today we're going to take it a little bit different route. It's a, it's a word that you hear, that you know, or at least you think you know what it is. Today's word is pastor. Yay! Some of you are like, man, I wish I would have gone on spring break. <laughs> well, you're here now. So uh, we're going to talk about the word pastor. And believe it or not, the word pastor occurs a whole bunch of times in God's Word in the Bible. Actually, it doesn't. It only occurs one time. One time. The word pastor, in fact, it doesn't say the word pastor, it's pastors. One time it occurs. It's the plural version of the word pastor, and it's pastors, and it's in a list that the Apostle Paul is writing about. He's talking about gifts that are given to the church. And he gives, gives us this list of gifts that are given to the church, and I want to read this for you because this is the one time that you hear the word pastor or pastors in Scripture. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. This is what it says. The Apostle Paul is writing. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. By the way, I didn't realize, but I'm a gift to you guys. Isn't that great? And I'm just so thankful of how humble I am. (laughs) I'm just messing with you this morning. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Five different people. Their responsibility, this is important, is to equip God's people to do His work, God's work, and build up the church, the body of Christ. 
So, here's the thing. When I say the word pastor, what probably most of us think about right away is a title, a position. We usually think of a person, pastor so-and-so, right? Pastor Brent, for example. We typically attach the word pastor to a person, and that person has a position or a title, uh, and usually it's because they're leading in a church or they're leading a certain ministry in a church. Pastor Nick is the leader over 167 in community and discipleship, and Pastor Chris is over the student ministry and and children's and Club 56 and, and a whole host of other things. And so we have pastors over certain things, and it's a title, it's a position, and you wouldn't be entirely wrong because we set it up that way. We wouldn't set it up that way. It was just totally not right. But I want to take us to a little bit different level today. Because I want to talk about kind of both parts of the whole pastor thing. Yes, there is a professional sense of the word pastor, a a gifting to the church, a role that somebody is called to by God to lead in the church. There is a calling about that. And I want to share actually mine. So I am considered to be a professional pastor. Yes, that's what I do. That is who I am, but it's also my professional job. Now, Do I see my role as a pastor as a job? Eh, Sometimes. Depends on the day. But for the most part, I don't. I consider it to be a life calling because I know it is. And I want to share why I believe that. So last Sunday, uh, we had Ask the Pastor Questions Night for the, the youth, the teens. And let me just tell you, if you have never been on what we call the hot seat in front of a bunch of a room of, full of teenagers, it is intense. It really is. And let me just tell you that um, there are questions that you guys have, teenagers are willing to ask them out loud. Yeah, they really are. Now, we didn't have them vocalize their questions, but we did have them write them down anonymously. And let me tell you that uh, the teenagers in our church last Sunday asked some really good and unbelievably hard questions for me. And I did not read them ahead of time. We just had them, you know, they just wrote them down anonymously, and then somebody would read that, and then I would answer it. And it was, it was a lot of fun. But two of the questions that they asked were these. I'm not giving you the hard ones today, right? But two of the questions that they did ask, these were the easiest ones, actually, by far the easiest two questions. And the two questions were, why did you become a pastor? It's a good question, right? And how did you become a pastor? Well, I I don't want to answer the second question here today. That's a boring story, right? It's classes, it's blah, 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 whatever the case is. But why did I become a pastor? So the quick and short answer that I gave the teenagers last Sunday was this. Because God told me I had to. That's the truth. God called me to be a pastor. Now, the question is, did I have a choice? Absolutely, I had a choice. God gave me, I could have said no. In fact, there were a few years where I did. You guys have heard part of that story. I've told that story here at this church. But the truth is that I'm a pastor because God told me I had to be. And if I chose not to do that, I'm outside of God's will. And so that's why I'm here, not just preaching, but that's why I am a pastor. That's why I will be a pastor to the very end of my days, whatever that is, because God has called me to do that. 
And let me just tell you that if you're wondering, like, well, how does that happen? Well, it happens a uh, hundred thousand different ways. But for me, let me share how that happened. So I had, Laura and I were public school teachers at the time in North Carolina. And uh, I was getting this sense from God that he was calling me to do something different. Now, the truth is I had probably received some of that voice and that call throughout a good portion of my life, but I had kind of pushed it down, I had kind of squashed it, I had kind of gone my own way, and I kind of went a direction that I thought was probably good for me being a teacher, because I'm a teacher at heart, you guys know that. My sermons are less preachy and more teachy. Right? You, guys, you guys recognize that very well. Because I'm a teacher at heart, I was created that way. But I felt like God was calling me to do something completely different than public school teaching. And so I was wrestling with this for several months, and I finally told Laura, I said, I don't know exactly what God is saying. I kind of felt like maybe he was saying I was to be a pastor for the rest of my life, but I wasn't sure. And so I said, I need a day alone with God where I can just listen to God and I have no other distractions. Right? This is before kids, before all that stuff, but I was still distracted. And, and we only had, the only day that we had during the week where I could have done this was Saturday. We taught Monday through Friday, and then Laura and I were not obviously pastors and leaders in the church, but I helped lead worship at the church volunteer-wise. Uh, Laura and I were highly involved in the, in the youth ministry, and so we were there on Sunday nights and on Wednesday nights helping to lead the youth ministry. And so Saturday was my day, and so I, we picked a Saturday, we marked it off, and that was my day. And so I left to go to the mountains in North Carolina that day. And on the way out, I asked God two questions. I said, God, I have two questions for you today. You can answer them or not answer them, but I want to be clear about the two questions I have. And the first question was, God, do you want me to be a pastor for the rest of my life? Do you want me to quit teaching and become a pastor forever? And then the second question is, if so, where do you want me to go and what do you want me to do? Like, what does it look like? Am I going to be in a church? Am I going to be at a college? Am I going to just walk around the street? Like, you know, seriously, what am I, I'm open, but what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? And so I asked him those two questions, and then I just was silent the rest of the day. Literally, not even music. Because music, I, I don't know about you guys, I love music, but it, it can be distracting for me sometimes when I'm trying to hear God. Sometimes I hear God through music, but this today I knew, that day I knew I needed to be quiet, silent. And it wasn't until the end of the day, late in the afternoon, I'd been listening to God. He'd been speaking to me and giving me thoughts and ideas and all that stuff, but he hadn't answered the two questions. And it was late afternoon, and I was sitting by myself on a mountain. And all of a sudden, just God's presence hit really heavy and hard. And it wasn't a bad thing, it was an overwhelming thing. And I just started crying. Just, I was just reading a book, and I just full on. And I looked out, and this is going to be weird for some of you, but it's okay. I think you can handle it. You already know I'm weird, so we're good. But it's the only time that I've actually physically seen God, seen Jesus, as a vision, and heard his voice audibly. I only three, heard three audible words. And Jesus pointed at me, right at me, at my face, and said, I want you. And I lost it again. 
But in that moment, I knew. He didn't say, Pastor Brent, you're going to be a pastor for the rest of your life. He didn't say that. He said, I want you. And in that moment, it was absolutely 100,000% clear, I'm going to be a pastor for the rest of my life. No question. The doubt was gone. It was solidified completely. Now, he, he, the second question, remember the second question I answered? He didn't answer that for a year later. <laughs> It took a whole nother year, and so we stayed teachers for another year. I started taking classes. I started doing practical things to kind of, you know, prep for this. But, but God answered the first question very clearly. And so here I am. I am a pastor because God told me that that's what I'm supposed to be. Now, the question that I have is this. If the word pastor is only found one time in the Bible, and if we tend to attach it to a person like me who is a professional pastor, then what does the word really mean? If it only is one time in Scripture, then what does the word really mean? Well, here's the interesting thing. We actually translate the same word, the one time for the word pastors, as the same word that we translate. It's the exact same word, the exact same Greek word that we translate into the word shepherd. The exact same word. If you look it up, if you look at the original Greek language, the same word that we use in that list in Ephesians chapter 4 that I just read that says pastor, we would look at it and it means shepherd. If you look at all the other times in scripture that we translate it, we translate it instead of saying pastor, we say shepherd. Now, let me ask you this. What does a shepherd do? What does a shepherd do? A shepherd feeds Right? Make sure you have food and nourishment and sustenance. A shepherd protects right? from animals or from whatever. A shepherd guides and directs, leads the group in a certain way. The shepherd influences how the group is doing and where the group is going. That's what a shepherd does, right? And so, what if I were to tell you this morning... That even though some of us, a few of us, are called to be professional pastors, what if I were to tell, and, and by the way, not to freak you out, but some of you in here likely have a call of God on your life to be a pastor in a professional sense, like I do. Some of you don't want to hear that. You need to listen. I ran from that, not hard, I didn't fall off the deep end, I didn't just party and do all this stuff, but I, I did not lean into God's call right away. So I do know something about keeping God at arm's length, let's say. Some of you in here maybe have a call of God on your life to be a professional pastor. There's a few of us maybe that do. But for the rest of us, what if I were to say that the truth is that God, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and that his death on the cross gave you forgiveness for your sins, if you claim that here today, what if I were to tell you that God also is calling you to be a pastor, not, maybe not in the professional sense, but on a daily basis to be a shepherd to the people around you? What if I said you were supposed to be a pastor and a priest on a daily basis? Now, I know our connotations for those words, and so you're like, uh, I'm not wearing the thing. Right? 
That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, if you see me in everyday life, those of you that know me, you've seen me at soccer games, you've seen me. Do I, do I look different? Do I wear something different? Maybe a little bit more dressed down than this, right? And some of you are like, I don't know if you can dress down much more than that, right? <laughs> I get it. I get it. There's a reason why people say, you're a pastor? <laughs> I get that a lot. Because I'm usually in my hoodie, you know, and my jeans or whatever the case is. But the truth is, no, I'm not talking about how you dress necessarily or anything like that. I'm talking about how you live, how you act, what you say, what you don't say, your facial expressions, how you treat people, how you view people, how you look at people, how you think about people. What if I were to tell you that God wants you to operate like a pastor and a priest on a daily basis? The truth is that Scripture tells you that that is true. That's actually true. In fact, did you know that our church, Northridge Church, believes in something called, now you may have never heard this phrase, and that's okay, but I'm going I'm to talk about what this phrase means, but did you know that Northridge Church, we believe in something called the priesthood of all believers? Some of you have maybe never heard this, and some of you are like, when I say that, you're like, that's weird. We believe in something called the priesthood of all believers. Now, in order to explain what I mean by that, I need to explain what that phrase is speaking against. Okay, we don't usually do this, but I want to give you the antithesis of this statement. So, in order to do that, I need to take you back in history a ways. We need to go back to the medieval period, the Middle Ages. So the Middle Ages, just so you understand, I'm a history teacher, so I get excited. I get giddy about this. Some of you are like, oh, you kind of lean back a little bit. You're like, settle in. Here we go. Pastor Brent's on the history kick again, right? But the Middle Ages or the medieval period is 500 AD to 1500 AD approximately. Basically, the end of the Roman Empire up to what we call in history books the Renaissance, Okay, so think, think about the medieval period is like there's a lot of castles being built, right? There's a whole bunch of castles and, and fortresses being built. Uh, there's a lot of cathedrals being built during this time. Think knights of the round table, right? Think of kings and queens and royalty and all that kind of stuff. All of those things that you think of when you think of medieval period, medieval knights and all that kind of stuff. Yes, that time period in history. So think about that time period in history. At that time in the church, there was this prevailing, overriding thought or doctrine that people lived by in the church. And that doctrine was that you could not have access to God except through a priestly class of people. There was this guy named Martin Luther that called out, called false on that. He, called, he, caught, he cried wolf on that. He said, oh, wait a minute, no, 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 we don't have the monopoly on God. And so there's this, this challenge to this belief that priests stand between people and God. And what actually we need to realize is that Northridge Church believes in the priesthood of all believers, which means what? It's the antithesis of that. What it means is that Jesus, because of his work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, he became the mediator. He became the bridge between you and God. You don't need me to get to God. Can we agree? Let's be honest, too. If you need me to get to God, we're in trouble. 
because I'm not perfect. <laughs> News flash, my family's always known that, but you guys need to know that. I'm not perfect. I never will be. If you need to get through me to get to God, we're all in trouble, including me. You don't need me. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a priest. You don't need somebody in your family. Jesus already did that. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, which makes you essentially priests. Yay! No, you don't have to wear the thing. It's okay. Jesus is our bridge. And the Apostle Peter actually declares this to be true. In Scripture, he says this overtly. I want to read for you what it says. And by the way, this is the same Peter who walks on water with Jesus. This is the same Peter where Jesus points to Peter and says, on this rock, on you, I'm going to build this brand new church. This whole new thing that we're doing, I'm going to build this on you, Peter. That's the same guy that writes these things. Listen to what he says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Peter writes, you are coming to Christ. He's talking to you, followers of Jesus. Anybody who's a follower of Christ. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He, Jesus, was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you, he's talking to you, that's why it says you, you, followers of Jesus, anybody in here who claims Christ, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Did you catch that? He just called you priests. He just said you're priests. You are his holy priests. Through the mediation, through the bridge, the work of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Did you catch that? You are the building blocks. You are the stones. You are significant. You are key. You are valuable to God's kingdom that is being built here on earth. You are significant. You are key. You are a pastor. You're a priest. Maybe not in the professional sense. That's okay. We've, we've kind of destroyed, we've hurt the word priest and pastor in our culture because we think it's a title and a position only. It is when it comes from a calling from God to do this in the way that I do it. But that doesn't discount the fact that you are called to be a pastor and a priest in your everyday you can't use, you, you've seen the staples or whatever, the, whatever that commercial is, the easy button, right? When you press it and then they, they swoop in. and that, You guys can't do that with me, right? I just need Pastor Brent. <laughs> they have a question about God. Then <laughs> there I go. Hey, I'm here. What's, what's going on? Well, they just had a really hard question. I need you to answer it for me. Thanks. No, we, you, I can't be everywhere. I'm not going to know 99% of the people that all of you know which means you have to be the shepherd. I can't. I can't be with everybody. I can't meet with everybody. I can't pray with everybody. There's just no way. It's not physically possible. And so you are called to be living stones, building blocks of what God is doing here on earth. You are a significant part of that. Now, I have a couple of thoughts. Just because everybody is invited to do this, and every single person on earth is invited to, into this possibility, into this relationship, to become a pastor, to become a priest of God on a daily basis, a shepherd to the people, to influence others. 
Every one of us is offered that opportunity. Here's the truth, though. Two thoughts on this. One, just because you're given the opportunity doesn't mean everybody takes it. Right? Let me give an example. So there's 260 million people in our country who are eligible to vote. They are of the proper voting age in this country. 260 million people. If you look back at the census data and the voting uh, records, you will find that anywhere from 50 to 60 percent, it ebbs and flows a little bit, but it's anywhere from 50 to 60 percent. I think we've been as high as maybe, I don't know, 62, 63 percent, something like that. Maybe is the high, and then 50 percent, 50 point something percent is the low. So anywhere between 50 to 60 percent generally in any election actually exercise their right to vote. So a little bit more than half. 260 million people can vote, but only about half do vote. Having the opportunity and actually voting are two different things, aren't they? Can we agree? The same is true of every person on earth. Every person on earth has been given the invite, the opportunity to become one with Christ. Invited, but not everybody takes it. And the problem with this is very simply this. In fact, this is the second point. The problem is that a lot of times we opt out of God's call. We opt out of God's opportunity that He's given to us. And what happens when somebody opts out of church? They opt out of being engaged. They opt out of walking in their faith with Christ. What happens when that happens? Well, what happens is we lose building blocks in our church. You guys saw the jinga. You knew I was going there. It's not just a cool prop, right? And when, when we lose, you know, people or whatever, we have to, we have to find one that's like, there, there we go, I found one. Right? When we lose people, it gets a little bit like weaker. It's, the church still exists. We're, we're good. But we're not everything we could be. Because there are a lot of people, and let me tell you, the pandemic has really made this true. People have just left. There's people I haven't seen in a long time. gone. What happens when we abandon God's call to be a shepherd, to be a pastor, to be a priest, to be a constant source and ambassador for His love and His power and His grace and His mercy to people that desperately need it? We weaken God's kingdom. We weaken the church. We weaken what God intended. Now, To take this one step further, do you remember what the Apostle Peter said about Jesus? Do you remember what he said? Let's go back to that scripture passage that I read. Go back to verse 4. This is what it says. It says, Peter says, you are coming to Christ. So it's this daily basis thing, right? This is a daily thing. You don't like go to church and then Monday through Saturday you forget and then you come back on Sunday and be like, ooh, that's right, Jesus is awesome. Okay, good. Right? And then you feel good for the rest of Sunday and maybe into Monday sometimes, but let's be honest, Monday morning we're kind of like, oh, Monday morning. Right? And, and, and it kind of ebbs and flows. And then Sunday's like, woo, we're good again. And, and the, let's, let's be honest, we are coming to Christ. It's a daily thing. But then what does Peter say? Who is Jesus? 
you are coming to Christ, to Jesus, who is what? The living, not dead, living cornerstone of God's temple, of the kingdom that He is building here on earth. Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, let me ask you this. What happens if a church or a person in their life disregards or abandons or sets aside the cornerstone of all of life? What happens when we replace Jesus with something else? For example, let me give you some examples. Yes, I'm going to dig in here. What if we replace the cornerstone with whether or not we wear masks or whether we do wear masks? And I'm talking about both sides. I've, I've heard it from both sides. I'm, I'm not going to church because no, not everybody's wearing a mask. And I've heard from the other side, I'm not going to church because you require people to wear masks. You have just replaced the cornerstone with masks. Really? I'm not saying that masks are not an important issue. I'm just saying you're going to replace Jesus with masks? You're going to elevate that above Jesus? What about vaccination status? Oh, some of you are like, no, don't do that. Again, both sides of the issue. I don't care if you're totally for vaccines, let's get everybody vaccinated, or everybody says it's a conspiracy, they made it all up, or somewhere in between, which is probably where most of us are at. I don't care which side you're on, but if you're going to elevate whether or not somebody's vaccinated above the cornerstone of Jesus, you, you need to be a good neighbor and get vaccinated and love your neighbor by getting vaccinated. You've just elevated vaccines above Jesus. And if you're over here and you say, you can't tell me to get vaccinated, all kinds of stuff, and freedom, you've placed freedom and rights above Jesus. You replace Jesus as the cornerstone, what happens? That song is too loud. That song is too soft. The style doesn't fit. The church is meeting in a gym. That's wrong. The pastor didn't say that right. He doesn't know the original, original, original Greek word. Traditions. And I'm not talking about other churches that have long-standing traditions for hundreds of years. I'm talking about, did you know that Northridge Church has traditions? I could make a list right now. I, could, if I, had, I don't have something to write with, but I could make a list right now of a few things that I, I know. If I changed it right now, some of you would get upset. And, it, and the only reason is because we've always done that. Yes, for nine and a half years we have, you're right. Let's not have that supersede Jesus who has existed, well, forever. What happens when you replace Jesus as the cornerstone? Can I tell you what happens in a life, in a church? This is what happens. You take the, the cornerstone out, and it will fail. It's done. I've seen lives do that. I've seen churches do that. And the reason was because they replaced Jesus as the living cornerstone. We need to realize that our calling, everybody, is for us to be a shepherd on a daily basis. And that also means that we are protecting and guiding and fighting for God's kingdom here on earth, which a big part of that is his church. You understand that Northridge is not my church, it is his church. It is God's church. 
It always has been, it always needs to be, it always will be. So the question becomes, why is it so important that you have to understand your role as a shepherd? Well, because, and I love that Pastor Chris made this point last week. She made a lot of phenomenal points last week, but I want to highlight one of them that she made. It wasn't even one of her main points. But do you remember when she was about to share a a leadership quote, and before she shared it, she said, now some of you just checked out because I said this is a leadership quote. And she said, no, if you have influence over even one other person, you are a leader. I concur with what she said. Yes. Every one of you are a leader in that you have influence over at least a lot more, I know, but at least one other person in this world. I know you do. The truth is that you were placed and given that influence so that you could be a shepherd, so that you could communicate love and grace and forgiveness to that person so that they could know Jesus. It's true. I might be involved. You can call me. I'm willing to do that. I don't want you to kind of walk away and be like, I can't call Pastor Brennan. He said I can't push the button. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, if every one of you push the button, every time you think you might need a pastor every day, I'm in trouble. (laughs) There's just no way. I'm not going to be able to do that. And so you guys, I know you have been called to influence and guide and direct and point people to Jesus. And let me just kind of share an example of what that... Here's the truth. We don't understand the full ripples of our life, do we? Can we, can we, understand, can we just say that, that that's true? That what you do, how you work, how you say um, things, how you operate in life, they have massive ripples that go out and they affect hundreds and thousands and maybe millions of people out of your life. Truly. I'm not saying that lightly. It's true. There are ripples that come out of every one of you. Right? So let me kind of give an example of this. So um, this last week, my wife, Laura, got a message from a pastor, uh, his name is Matt, that we both know from college days. And he wrote this message to us because he had this uh, interesting conversation with somebody that we don't know. And so uh, Pastor Matt was at this conference this last week, and he ran into this guy named Jervy Wyndham. Now, I can tell you that I have never heard that name before in my life. I don't know who Jervy Wyndham is. I really don't. Did I Facebook stalk him? Yes, I did. After this. Yes, I did. I'm just calling out what we all do, guys. See, I just say it out loud. You're like, yeah, did you Facebook? Yes, I did. Of course I did, because I'm curious. I had ne- I've never met him before. I now, I now I know what he looks like. But that's it. And so he sent us this message about Jervy Wyndham. And he said, I bumped into this guy named Jervy, and, and we had this conversation, and he started to tell me his story in, in faith and his faith journey and all kind of stuff. And he said, I wanted to, I asked him permission to share his story because he got to the middle of his story and he said, the turning point in my life when I decided that I needed to go back and become a pastor and start planting churches, he said, the turning point in my life was Dan Bickle my dad. I've never met Jervy. I have Facebook stalked him, but I've never met him. We don't know how well my dad knew him. 
It may have been one conversation. It may have been two. We, don't, we, don't, we really don't know. We can't ask him. But he, my dad, was the turning point for this guy becoming a pastor, planting churches that is having impact on however many people. Do you believe and realize that you are the turning point for people? Seriously, do you realize that you are the turning point for people? You are the turning point. Not me because I'm a pastor. 99% of the people in your life, I'm not their turning point. You are. Do you realize that? Do you believe that you are a significant building block in God's kingdom and what He wants to do in this church, in this community, in this world? Do you believe that you are a significant, valued, amazing, unique, special, incredible part of what God wants to do in and through your life for God's kingdom, for the work that He is doing here in this place and around the world? Do you believe that you are a significant part of that? If you don't, then you have been lied to by Satan or by another pastor or by somebody else in your life. You are called to be a shepherd, to be a pastor, to be a priest in your everyday life. I'm here to dispel the lie that you don't matter or that you can't do what I do. <laughs> Man, if anybody knew how wonderful and how easy they could do my job. Now I know a lot of you are like, I don't want to preach up here. You don't have to. Can I just say, seriously, you can have a hundred times more influence on the people that love you and are involved in your life than I ever will. You do. Do you believe that you're the turning point for several people in your life? Do you believe that? Because the truth is, you are. Now I want to challenge you. Live like it. Live like it. Be a shepherd. Be a pastor. Be a priest. No, you don't have to wear the thing. But you do have to act like it. Point people. Be real. Be genuine. Be authentic. And show people how much God loves them because of how much you know God loves you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for the fact that you call us to a very high standard, that, that you want us to be involved, that you want us to be highly engaged in the work that you're doing. I know, God, that there are so many people in this church who are part of this church, who are maybe loosely connected or highly involved in this church, that you're calling to do great things, to do amazing things with people around their life. 
God, I, I know and I believe that, that you are calling. There, there may be there may be someone, there may be a few someones in here that you are calling into full-time Christian pastoral ministry like you did for me. Maybe somebody in here, they've been running from it. They've been, they've been falling away from it. They've been holding their arm out with their elbow locked and, and you're coming. They want nothing to do with you in their life. They, 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 they're willing to believe in you, but they don't want to follow you. God, I pray against that in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would call them up and help them know that this is the call on their life, that they're called to be a pastor for the rest of their life. Let them know that and have them reach out to somebody so that somebody else can walk with them and hold them accountable to that. But God, for the rest of us, maybe you're here and we're not called to be professional, full-time, all-the-time pastors, but we are definitely called to be shepherds and to be leaders and to influence others in our life with your love and your power. God, you've got big things, huge things in store with our church, for our church, through our church, in this community, and in this world. You are establishing an amazing kingdom, an amazing work, but you need, you want every one of us to be involved and engaged. You would call us living stones. You call us holy priests for a reason because you have given us uniqueness and power to be able to do what we are called to do. Help us to live like it. Help us to lean into it. Help us to stop rejecting it, being scared of it or replacing you as the cornerstone. Help us to lean into it. And may we see people coming to Christ left and right. May we see people finding the fact that you love them to be the truth. All over this community, all over Dane County, and even to the ends of the earth. Help us to realize that we truly can be the turning point in people's lives. I pray this. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.